0: Well, it's been said that um, there are two certain things in life, death, and what's the second one? Yeah. Taxes. Well, you know, I want to submit to you today that, um, you know, uh, there's probably, you know, taxes, there's probably another thing, because, you know, even when you die, guess what? There's still something called a death tax, and uh, that comes into play. But let me submit to you this morning that there's a third thing that I believe that, that happens in life that we just can't avoid, and that's the word Disappointment. If you've ever been disappointed, you know exactly what I'm saying. Disappointments are those kinds of things that that come into our lives that just um, take us from a joyful state into a melancholy state, into a state of wondering whether or not we even want to get up during the day and do something productive and live our life. Well, I know a little bit about this disappointment. When I was early on in my pastorate, I went and visited one of my parishioners who was in the hospital, and they were just coming out of anesthesia in the post-op room. And uh, where we were at, located at the church as well as where the hospital was, our church had a bell tower that could play bells, and you could actually hear those church bells being played inside of the hospital building. So as I was getting closer, I could hear the church bells playing, and as I was getting closer to the room, I could see in where the parishioner, who was one of my friends and part of, part of our church was, and her eyes were closed, and she heard the bells, and she said, I must be in heaven. And then she opened her eyes and saw me and said, I can't be. There's Pastor Bob. <laughs> Whew, I tell you. So why is, why is disappointment so hard? Um, why do we have trouble dealing with disappointments? I mean, who do you know wakes up every morning and says to themselves, I want to shout from the rooftops, God, disappoint me today. Nobody does that. And, and, and yet so many people live their life in a way of disappointment. You know, disappointments come in a, in a lot of different ways. Uh, some of us uh, we we, we want to live in a world where we get everything that we want. Maybe that's you. And when, when that doesn't happen, we get disappointed. Some of us have lived in lives where, where we spent our entire life trying to please our parents or please somebody. And when we felt like we couldn't please them, our life became a disappointment. Uh, we we want to hear nothing but good news. And when we don't hear good news, we get disappointed. And every Sunday, you come right in this very spot, hoping that my sermon does not last more than five minutes. And guess what? Today, you're going to be disappointed. But disappointments come in in all sorts of ways. When your life is giving you everything you could ever imagine, you quickly discover that your dependence on God goes away. Because when we're in high cotton, so to speak, as the saying says, when things are going well in life, so many of us, we fall away from God. But yet when the wheels fall off the bus, when a crisis comes, when something urgently is pleading in our hearts, it seems to draw us nearer to the cross, it seems to draw us nearer to the bosom of God, and it's in those moments that we cry out to God in our disappointments. But life's crazy and discombobulated ways constantly are bringing those disappointments, and sometimes those disappointments can be overwhelming. It kind of puts us in that spot where where we wonder at times in our disappointments, is God real or or is this faith that we confess the right thing and can God lead us in a righteous way in the impacts of our life? Well, this morning's story about Nehemiah is a critical one. And as we finish our series on stretch, it's, it's no error that we're finishing with this guy. Nehemiah was a significant individual. And if you're not familiar with Nehemiah's life, I wanna encourage you to go and to read uh, the book of Nehemiah. And it is filled with so much faith. It is filled with so much obedience. It is filled with so much of of when life throws everything at us and we have reason to be disappointed. We learn through Nehemiah that God raises us up and and moves us into a, a greater way to give the lay of the land, so to speak, 142 years, the walls of Jerusalem and all had been ransacked. And if you've ever been at a point where where things are so common around you, like, like kind of like when the laundry stacks up during the week and as you get further in the week, you kind of ignore all the laundry piles that are there and you're just kind of, well, I'm used to it, it's there. Well, the people had gotten used to the fact that the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down in the gates and it was nothing but rubble and they could care less about anything else than, than anything, but yet also their place of worship had been disappointed. And God uses Nehemiah to raise up the people in the midst of life's greatest disappointments. When everything had been taken away from them, God calls this man to come and to lead. And we find out that sometimes when we're being led through life and the challenges that come, we find out that even though we know goodness lays just ahead, even though we know that the next step that we take is a positive one, there is always that force of something called resistance. And whether that's an internal force to us or whether it comes to us externally. But resistance, if we're not careful, can hold back our progress and hold us into the mindset of disappointment. Well, panting and perspiring, uh, two folks were on a tandem bicycle and they are pedaling along and pedaling along and they're getting to a point where they get to the top of the steep hill and the person in the front says, my goodness gracious, that was a steep hill. It took almost forever to get here. And the person in the back said, yeah, if I hadn't have been laying on the brakes hard enough, we'd have fallen all the way down. <laughs> you know, resistance is something that is critical for us. And Nehemiah ran into that. He gathers the people together and he shares with them the dream of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. We find here in chapter two, you see the trouble that we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. You see, All is well. God has placed this vision in his heart. Nehemiah has gone to his boss and he has said, I need to take a leave of absence and I need to go do something that God is commanding me to do. And that is not only physically to rebuild the walls and the gates of Jerusalem, but I am called to rebuild the hearts and the souls and the aspirations and the joy in the hearts of God's people. And yet when he goes to do that, there's two ornery guys Sambalat and Tobiah, who are not happy at all because Nehemiah is rallying the people together. They were kind of Debbie Downers. If your name's Debbie, I apologize for that. But they were kind of downers, so to speak. And and they didn't want anything to to happen that was good. And as Nehemiah was leading them in there and to come together to do this, these two men, Sambalat and Tobiah, did everything in their power to discourage them. They did not want the mission to be completed. You see, disappointment can do that, can't it? Disappointment is a powerful enemy that can in, in an instant derail our greatest hopes and dreams. Disappointment can take the person who is the most positive thinker and begin to have them placed on that slippery slope where they begin to fall into doubting themselves and being critical in all the things that come with that. Job tells us this. Job says, but trouble comes and we get discouraged. It strikes and you become dismayed. Is that what happens to you when trouble and when uh, uh, disappointments come? Does it bring you dismay? Does it make you dismayed? Does it bring trouble into your life? Disappointment has the power to deceive it has the power to make us wonder whether or not God is truly alive. Disappointment can put that cloud over us and make us wonder is God even walking with me in this leg of my journey? But how does disappointment come? What is it that brings disappointments in our lives? Well, it's kind of commonplace. A lot of times disappointment comes because we set an unreal expectation, whatever that might be. You know, um, when, when, when Patty and I first started dating, well, before we started dating, she had set a very high expectation of the guy that she wanted to marry, and she settled for me. I mean, you know, so, so we set high expectations, and, and even though we strive for those high expectations so often, we just can't uh, achieve those. Uh, disappointments come when, when people make comments to us. Comments that, instead of building us up, as the scripture says, are meant merely to tear us down. And we hear those comments, and and it begins to ebb and chip away at our self-confidence. And it convinces us that there's no way in H-E-L-L hockey sticks that we can actually do what we need to do. And we find out that God needs to deliver, and we see these forces around us. Nehemiah continues, we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half of its height. And for the people, they worked with all their heart. Do you hear what's happening? The people are working together. That discouragement, that disillusionment, that all of that stuff that was pulling them down, they're coming together for the cause. But when Simbala, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Mid of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, what does it say? They were what? Angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. Have you ever worked so hard on something, knowing that you gave it your best? Have you ever put all of what you have into it? Maybe you prayed fervently and and you woke up the next morning and you engaged in what you thought your answered prayer said. And you do that only to the avail that someone comes to you and says, that's not good enough. You gotta do better than that. Or that person did better than you're doing. And we begin to see that that's exactly what Simbalat and that's what Tobiah and all of these individuals were doing. Um, they, They begin to cast doubt and they begin to look at portions of the wall that have been rebuilt. And Tobiah, to put it in our words of today, Tobiah looks at this wall that they've worked really hard on. And Tobiah says, hey, with one huff puff, the big bad wolf can blow that wall down. And he began to try to demoralize God's people. Why do we so often allow that to happen? God says, I give you great things. God says, I work for the good of you who are called according to my purpose. God says, trust in me in all these things. And yet, when all this disillusionment, when all these disappointments, when people begin to make us see something differently than we should, why is it that we oftentimes cave to that? We do so because we're fearful. Our fears come into play. Fear can be paralyzing. Fear uh, can also take a great opportunity in your life, and, and it can turn the other way because you feel that following the way of hope is too costly. That whenever you know what God is saying to do or when someone encourages you to follow God's path in life, we sit there with our abacus starting to add up the cost. Instead of seeing the benefits of what it means to be loyal and loving and follow God, we begin to say, this is going to cost, this is going to cost, this is going to cost. And we get down at the bottom ledger and we say, the cost is too great. It's our fear. It's our fear that is playing games with us. Have you ever been excited about doing something that, that, that just brought joy to your heart? Have you ever been excited about... Something God has placed in your life that you've read in Scripture or you've heard in your small group or or Sunday class or God has spoken to you through another Christian friend. Have you ever had that in your heart and been so excited to do that and then you wanted to do that but all of a sudden you stopped because you were afraid? This is something that Christians struggle with. The Scripture says that God doesn't give us a spirit of timidity a spirit of fear, but God gives us a a spirit of, of strength. But yet we know in our fleshiness that we are constantly battling this. I talk with brothers and sisters who have been longer in the faith than I, whom I would look up to say are mentors in my life, and yet there are times that they have fear. And I know that they are working through their salvation, that they are working through their fear, that they are constantly dealing with the fleshiness, the thorns that are in our sides. And you and I have that as well. But fear has two conceptions or two misperceptions that we have to confront. And here's the first one. Since I feel fear, then this cannot be what God wants. So if you have fear about something, then you convince yourself, well, it can't be what God wants because I'm I'm, I'm feeling a little apprehensive about what this means or what this does. Let me tell you, every time that, that Nehemiah took a step of faith, every time Lehemiah, Nehemiah was moving forward in his mission, he was hit with some form of opposition. He was time and time and time uh, fi- uh, fixed with that. There were moments where, where he was wondering, how is this going to play out? There were moments when, when, when uh, Tobiah and Simbalit were sending letters to people within the Jerusalem camp. Uh, ridiculing him as a leader and creating stories that you would find in the National Enquirer, trying to discredit him. And we see that Nehemiah had to do all these things and he was living in the midst of a people of disappointment. He was living in the midst of physical threats. He was even mocked to the maximum by these individuals. But yet the scripture says, every time he was confronted with this, every time, he met it head on with prayer. And he began to pray through this and he began to call upon God and to God have God's strength to, oh, to the point where he coined the phrase, I cannot come down off of this wall for I'm doing a great work up here. And he continued to work forward. So what do we learn from Nehemiah? He proves to us that when we pursue something great for God, that there will always be some kind of opposition. There will always be a moment of disappointment. We also learn that when disappointments come, it isn't time to surrender. It isn't time for us to quit. When things get tough, we should not surrender. We should not quit. It actually becomes the fuel to get us to cross the finish line. And even when disappointments seem so heavy and our way forward becomes cloudy, God's presence always guides us through, amen? The California coastline was uh, shrouded with a really dense fog the morning of July 4th of 1952, 21 miles to the west on Catalina Island. A 32-year-old woman waded in the water, and she began swimming toward California. She was determined to be the first woman to ever swim the 21-mile strait between Catalina Island and and the coast of California. Her name was Florence Chadwick. And as Chadwick got into the water, uh, she, she already knew that she was an accomplished swimmer. She had already completed swimming the English Channel, had no trouble doing that. And she took on this challenge that was great. The water was numbing. It was cold. And as she began to swim, that cold water began to fatigue her body. It wasn't the fact that she was putting in so much time in swimming and, and, and moving forward toward the goal, but the water began to fatigue her body. Her coach and her mother and her friends were in boats alongside of her as she swam, and their mission was twofold, to encourage her and to keep the sharks away. And and they did both as they they moved her forward with that. Uh, As she began to tick the hours off and as she began to swim more and more and more, the fatigue became a very serious problem and it it was um, bone chilling and and discouraging her along the way. So more than 15 hours later into the swim, numbed with a cold, she asked to be taken out of the water. She said, I just can't do this anymore. There's no way I can finish this race. And all she could see before her was this dense fog that was there. And the more that she swam, the more fog and how thick it became. Her coach and her mother and her friends encouraged her. The shoreline is just ahead. Please stay with it. Please stay with it. You can do this. You can do this. She said, I can't see where I'm going. I don't know how far away from the shore I am. I don't know what the goal is. I'm just lost. I'm becoming afraid. Take me out of the water. And so they did. They took her out of the water. And as they made their way through the, through the fog, they saw that she was less than one mile from the coastline of California. And she said to herself, she said, I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen the shore, I might have made it. And that happens to us, doesn't it? We, if we could see the end result before we begin something, we'd all be all in. If we knew that what the success was that was coming, if we knew that the pain and the suffering and the challenges that were being thrown that our way, that we would get over that and accomplish the goal, if we could see that in advance, so many of us would be more willing to act in the way in which God calls us. But disappointments are masters of illusion and they take our eyes off the goal and they allow doubts and fears to trickle in. But it's the journey towards the dream. It's that walk with God. It's that walk with Jesus. It's that walk with the Lord that is what bears the fruit. In fact, it's the journey with God that prepares us for the end result of the goodness that will come. Here's the second misconception of fear. I can't be a part of this unless God takes away my fear of disappointment. I can't do that unless God in advance takes away my fear and my disappointment. Fear is a natural phenomena. It's a natural effect that happens to human beings. It's a human response to a perceived threat. Whenever we have a perceived threat, we engage in the feeling and the emotion of fear. But while some fears like the the fear of snakes, the fear of heights, uh, those things can keep us from harm because we're not gonna go near there. Other fears like the fear of the unknown or the fear about going forward after disappointment, those fears actually hold us back and they tell us we can't do this. So in my experience, God rarely makes fears and disappointments disappear. I rarely have found that God has removed my, the, the things and the obstacles in my way. I have rarely seen that God just waves his hand and says, Bob, I've removed your fear because it's in that time, it's in that struggle, it's in that humanity that I learn how to more deeply trust and follow and abide in the will of God. And God proves to me that it is courage that is needed. What is courage? Courage is not the absence of fear, but courage is choosing to act in spite of our fear. So when we have courage, we're making the choice. And we're saying that I'm going to act and I'm going to step out in faith because I trust God. And even though I can't figure it out, even though I'm afraid, even though I'm uncertain, God tells me to trust him and I'm going to do just that. But what happens when you run into the obstacles? What do you do when someone or something comes and attempts to steal your fire and and convince you what you're trying to do doesn't matter and what you're trying to do won't make a difference and it isn't important and what you're doing is all wrong? What do you do in those instances? At this juncture, your God-given passion, when it's threatened, some important questions come to the heart of every believer The first question that comes to our heart is, will we continue to be faithful towards the cause no matter what? No matter what. Will we be faithful to the cause no matter what? Or will we become a casualty to the obstacles which create disappointments within us? These are two significant questions that we have to answer. Nehemiah calls upon the people of Israel. He says, come together, rebuild the shattered walls of Jerusalem. And we're intended to bring the people together. And something amazing happens. It says here in chapter four, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of the disappointments. Don't be afraid of the naysayers. Don't be afraid of the discouragers. But remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives, fight for your homes. It's amazing how God takes a person like Nehemiah, who was the cupbearer of the king. The guy was like dressed to the nines, he had a a, a wonderful palace. He had a chariot with mag wheels on it and spinning rims. He, uh, he had everything. You know what a cupbearer of the king did? The cupbearer of the king was one of the most trusted persons of the king's life. And because they drank every beverage before the king did. And if someone was trying to kill the king, guess what? Well, I guess somebody was trying to kill me because they're flat on the ground. So he had trust with the king, and yet God calls Nehemiah out of this plush vocation. God interrupts his life, and God says, I'm going to do an amazing thing through you, and I'm going to give you the courage. I'm going to give you the power. I'm going to give you the heart. I'm going to give you the capacity. I'm going to give you the tools. I'm going to give you everything that you need to fulfill the mission of which I'm calling you to do, which is to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Oh, and guess what, Nehemiah? The morale of your people is at its all time low. But you're gonna get through it and I'm gonna be with you every day. Like Nehemiah, you and I are confronted with a couple of different types of people. And if you you identify yourself as being one of these, my question will be, how can you become something other than this? Because somewhere in this, we all find ourselves from time to time. Nehemiah was confronted with the alarmist, the person who shouted, it's not safe. And motivated by fear, they they tend to exaggerate the risks involved. It's too risky, it's too costly. We can't do that, it will will devastate us if we do. Nehemiah confronted the traditionalist. That's not the way, we've always done it. And the traditionalist romanticizes the past and wants to keep things the same. Nehemiah confronted the defeatist. That's not possible at all. And they see problems around every corner and, and they don't think anything new that you're proposing can make a whale of a difference with anything that you're doing. And they're telling you that even though you say it can happen, they tell you it can't. Nehemiah even dealt with the antagonist. It. I won't let you do this, Sambala, Tobiah, all of the ones that we see in the scripture. They use their authority of intimidation and they try to block the path. Antagonists come against you because they fear that they will lose money or that they will lose control. They may not like the leader or what the leader is doing and they feel that they have the power to stop everything that is to happen. So in dealing with these personalities, Nehemiah had a choice. Am I going to please God? More I go, or am I gonna please these people? And we know what he followed. He had to decide. And the only way he accomplished building the walls of Jerusalem and reopened the temple so Ezra could open the book of worship and they could come together as a people was because he followed God. Jesus said, we can do all things through him as he gives us the strength that nothing is impossible when it comes in the name of Jesus Christ. So the question today is what will you do? God says, I have the power to stretch you. And the question is, will we be stretched?